So I'm in the middle of a teaching series that's going to take me all the way to Palm Sunday. Nine traits that we see embodied in the life and ministry of Jesus. That God wants to work in us, that change us, and then change kind of the world around us a little bit. Um, And these nine traits are noticing, praying, listening, asking questions, loving, welcoming, facilitating, serving together, and sharing. And today I come to love. God loves us so extravagantly, we're compelled to express that love to others. If you've been part of Generations for any length of time, you have heard Max Vanderpool teach and preach on love. Have you not? It's probably the single biggest subject that I tackle. I just did a survey of sermons in the last handful of years since the pandemic. March 2019, August 2020, May 2021, October 2021, March 2023. Love is the topic that I have taught on most in my time here at Generations. More than faith, more than money, more than relationships, more than anything. What does it mean to really love someone. Well, today I'm going to give you a chance to talk with each other. Woo! Whoa! Yeah! Whoa! I'm going to give you a chance to talk to each other and ask, answer some questions that I'll give as prompts and maybe even ask some questions. So today's going to be a little bit more interactive, so buckle up. You can handle this. Buckle up. But before we get to these questions, I want God to have a chance to speak to us. God speaks through his word, his written word, and his living word, and God gets to define what love is. So I just want to, I want you to listen to these passages, and I'm going to put them on the screen up front. How do we know that God loves us, and what does God expect from us. So I want to begin with scriptures about God's love. Okay? We know, this is 1 John chapter 4. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, Our love grows more perfect. So we won't be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face God with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. And then another passage from 1 John chapter 4. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. John chapter 3, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And then Romans chapter 5, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And then Ephesians chapter 3, we were just there last year. And, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, 
how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. May you uh, experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So now some scriptures of what God perhaps expects from us. Teacher, this is someone asking Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. For you've been called to live in freedom, Paul writes in the letter to Galatia. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Luke chapter 6. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we see, how can we love God whom we don't see? And he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Okay? So now you have a sense of some of the things that Scripture says. So what does it mean to really love someone? What does it mean to really love someone? You came with some people, so I want, I want to hear a little bit of murmuring. It's my, perhaps safer to talk amongst yourselves than for one person to verbalize something in the whole room, right? So with some people around you, spend a couple of minutes. What does it mean to really love someone? What does it mean? You've got some ideas. What are those ideas? And particularly in light of this, what we just heard from Scripture, what does it mean to truly love someone? When was the last time you were truly amazed by someone's love for you? And why did it stand out? Yeah, it should be why. I blame my secretary, also me. <laughs> so me. When was the last time you were truly amazed by someone's love? And why did it stand out? Why did it stand out? Okay, keep going. These are good questions to consider, okay? What does it mean to really love someone? How can you tell when people are truly loving? What are traits of churches and families when they're built on God's love? And when was the last time you were amazed by someone's love for you? And why did it stand out? We tend to equate love in America with a feeling or set of feelings that we have for someone or about someone. Um, and while that's true that love includes compassion, um, love is more than that. I found a definition from another pastor in California, 
Not sure what I think, California, but I think he's spot on about this. Love is thinking and acting in a way that seeks to address the best interest of another person. I've gotten a front row seat to this being a parent. When you parent your children, so sometimes you can parent your kids in reaction to your own parenting, or you can do the same thing. You tend to kind of move in one direction or another. And uh, I could have said uh, to my children in my context, well, you know what? I love my kids, so I'm not ever going to tell them no. I'm not ever going to tell them they can't touch something, go someplace, do whatever. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Now, some of you are smiling at me as that came out of my mouth. Would, would I be a lo- truly loving parent if I did that? No. So we, we know, we have this sense baked into us that love has this component where we're thinking and acting in a way that seeks to address the best, best interests of another person. Which leads me to uh, this ship. I have never seen the movie Titanic. I can't even say the word. I've never seen that movie until this year. I saw it late at night. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was asleep at the wheel. The movie came out and I was like, what's the guy? Leonardo DiCaprio? Unimpressed. Unimpressed. Okay. So I saw the whole thing this year, right? (laughs) Okay. This ship fascinates me on a number of levels. But on April 15th, 1912, as you all know, the Titanic plunged 12,000 feet to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, some two hours and 40 minutes after an iceberg tore a 300-foot gash along the starboard side. As one survivor put it, I saw all the horror of its sinking, and I heard even more dreadful, the cries of people in the water. Now, we all know that the Titanic didn't have enough lifeboats. We know this. Um, But most of the 20 lifeboats that were launched into the water were partially full. They weren't completely full, these boats that they were lowering into the water. 20 boats got in the water. And when the last vestiges of the ship went beneath the surface, It was a calm night. It was a clear night. You could see all the stars. There was very little wind. You could hear for a long distance. So these 20 boats that had rowed away from the ship and the way the ships go down, they pull water in as they're going down. So the boats rowed a good safe distance from the sinking ship. But once it was below the surface of the water, you could hear the people out there in the dark. There was only one boat, lifeboat number 14, that decided to go back and pull people out of the water. They rowed up alongside some other boats, transferred everybody but two people, and then rowed in the rowed, as in rowing, rowed in the dark toward where the people were screaming out. Most of the people in the water didn't drown. They had life jackets on and they died of hypothermia. Okay? And I'm floored 
that out of 20 boats, only one went back. Only one went back. Jesus tells a story, a parable in Luke chapter 10. And that's where I just want to close today. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 and following. Who is my neighbor? Jesus told this story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, and he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Yes, Jesus said, now go and do the same. Pictures of love. Pictures of love. And you don't need me to tell you that life out there is brutal. You are experiencing the brutality of life. You are. I'm your pastor. I get a front row seat to it week in and week out. Life is brutal. It's beautiful. It's good. It's precious. It's everything the Bible tells us. It's a gift. And yet, it's brutal. Okay? It's both. And so we have this opportunity, we who've experienced the extravagant love of God, to love. And I know it's challenging. I know there are barriers and problems and issues and all of that kind of stuff. But I just want to admonish us and encourage us as a congregation to continue to love, continue to love, continue to love, continue to love. Um, I'm finally getting that person that I thought ill of when I was young, was an older family member, and we were about to have our first kid, and I was all stressed out. I remember reading like four different books on parenting. I knew I was going to mess up as a dad. I was like totally freaking out. You know, Jenny, the clock was ticking. The, the birth was going to come, and this guy had the audacity to say, he was like, Max, it's not rocket science. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, look, just love them. And I was like, that's it? That's all you got? That's not going to work? As it turns out, <laughs> as it turns out, I think he might have been right. Okay, that's probably enough for today.